Hi, I'm Jamie Winkup. Hi, I'm Dick Johnson. Hi, I'm Garth Tander. You're listening to the V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. Bathurst is approaching, and this week we look at how the pit lane is preparing for the closest Bathurst in years. From when the car started to rotate at 290 kilometres an hour to when it actually came to a rest, it was 11 seconds. You know, it was the longest 11 seconds of my life. It's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Taking the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Hi, this is Will Davison from the Pepsi Max crew for Performance Racing and you are listening to the V8 Insiders. Our Bathurst Pit Lane special is up next, but first, Tony D'Alberto has had a year struggling with straight line speed. He's hoping to find some extra power as his team prepares for Bathurst. Obviously, you want to go in with a lot of confidence into the Enduros and know that you've got a car that's going to work, um, a car that's going to get you through to the end, and a car that's going to be quick. Um, At the moment, uh, I suppose it's... um, you know, it's, it's been very tough recently trying to get on top of um, the setup and um, getting finishes and getting good results. They just haven't come around much lately. So, uh, yeah, it's it's probably difficult going in. You know, I'm hoping that Winton um, will get some good results here um, and, and we can build our confidence going into the Enduros. Um, but, yeah, it's been a really tough year. Um, you know, mentally... It's been really tough, um, and on the track, it's just been tough to, to keep the car on the track, and uh, you know, especially when you're down the back fighting with the uh, you know the back runners, it's not very fun, um, and you get involved in tangles that you shouldn't get involved in, and all sorts of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's been a, a frustrating year, I suppose, um, and I knew it was going to be a big challenge this year, um, as did the whole team. Um, and the whole, you know, we're all in this together. Um, I suppose I, I expected to go into my second year at SBR, uh, which became Erebus, um, <clears throat> stronger than the first year. And um, and as soon as the announcement was made that we were going to an, a new manufacturer, I suppose that uh, I had to reassess my goals for this year. And um, my goals, I suppose, when I look back at the start of the year, was was never focused on championship results um, it was on building a car um, developing a car for 2014 so that we can go into the championship next year um, with, with high hopes um, so when you look at it like that I suppose you know we're still in the development stage and um, and I shouldn't be concerned about the championship because that was never the focus but you know when you're getting kicked in the guts all the time with results um, it brings you down and uh yeah, just like a few results to bring me back up and bring the team back up. Are you seeing a light at the end of the tunnel? 
Yeah, I suppose the team's shown a lot of potential in the last couple of rounds with the the speed of um, you know some uh, of Tim. Tim's speed has been quite good in qualifying. Um, we've lost our qualifying speed, which is weird, but um, uh, I'm sure that once we get back on back on top of that, then we're going to see uh, going to see some really solid results because you see out there. Every every weekend, it, it depends so much on where you qualify because it's just a procession. Sometimes you you just can't pass because everyone's so close in time. So it does come down to probably ninety percent qualifying of a weekend. That's and and you know if you can do that, then your job's nearly done. You just need to bring it home in the race. Divorcing yourself from Lee Holsworth, racing driver, to Lee Holsworth, racing fan. And what do you think the new generation car has done for the sport in a greater sense? Well, obviously, this year we've had a number of race winners, different names, um, which is fantastic for the sport. You know, it's not Wincup winning every race. It's um, or it's not Lowndes or it's not Winterbottom. It, it's it's all different names up there, which is, you know, the, the most positive thing I think the car of the future has done for the sport. Um, obviously, being a more controlled car, in terms of components, um, has uh, I suppose brought the field closer together. Um, but they're a difficult car, uh, you know. Speaking from from my side, it's um, a difficult car to uh, to get in the window. And um, once you're in the window, it's difficult to stay in that window. And it's probably something we need to work on expanding our window a little bit in Erebus. Um, but uh, yeah, it's certainly spiced up the racing I think and um, and, and brought a lot of no, uh, new names to, to the top It might be difficult for you to say but is the car enjoyable to drive? Yeah, I'm, from the start of the year I said this is a more enjoyable car to drive even though we were running at the back of the field um, I felt that it had a lot of potential and um, uh, it, it's something that it's probably at the start of the year was more suited to my driving style, um, and uh, and has been up until you know Texas maybe has been you know what I like, um, but the, unfortunately with the team finding speed for Tim, um, well not so much finding speed for Tim, but Tim's found a lot of speed um, since then. Um, I've sort of gone backwards a little bit with the way. I like the car, uh, and it's probably, um, you know, it's probably more so just on the the green tyre. Um, the the car has been quite, um, I've been quite confident in the car up until the green tyre runs, and then something's happening on our green tyre that we just can't work out at the moment. So um, it is actually, I, I think it's a more enjoyable car to drive, and there's a lot of potential and. Um, I think once we get it right, it'll suit. It'll suit the driving style that I like. Heading to Bathurst. Obviously, it's the seventy-fifth anniversary of that race. What's been your highlights in the years you've been going there? Uh, I've got a few good highlights for Bathurst. Um, you know, obviously the podium finish in two thousand nine with Caruso was. It was fantastic to stand up on top of the podium and look down at the thousands of people spraying champagne. Um, that was a pretty special moment. And, you know, also uh, the standout from that race was obviously over the finish line uh, coming across. Um, Murph and I were separated by four one thousandths of a second or something. 
which was just crazy. It was it was actually really good fun that race. And um, the other one was 2010, where uh, I think I qualified third or fourth, and um, I had David Bernard with me, and we led the race for three quarters of it from start to about three quarters of the way through the race. It was. Uh, that was actually a pretty special moment, you know. When you you jump out, um, you've done your stint, you're at the front, Bernard jumps in, he finishes his stint at the front, I jump back in, do the same. And you look back, or you, you get back in the truck um, while the race is still running, and you go, we're actually leading this thing, you know. The Bathurst 1000, we could actually win it. And it was pretty emotional, actually. But um, I suppose it was a roller coaster ride that day because... Uh, going from such a high and then having um, we, we picked up a drive through penalty for uh, Bezzy had a bit of a speed in pit lane which um, gave us a drive through penalty and uh, so that dropped us back a fair way in the field and it was sort of all over from there um, and that's the thing with Bathurst you can't count your chickens before they hatch um, so yeah the, the, I suppose that was yeah, that was a, a, an emotional day um, because that was the one that got away, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, there's been plenty of good good moments up there. We've had uh, some good results and um, I always look forward to getting back to that track. Always a pleasure to catch up with you, Lee, and uh, all the best for the rest of the season. Thank you. Cheers, mate. After the break, we look at media and V8 supercars. For Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products, check out the entire range today at www.nobrac.com.au. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You've watched the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Craig Lance. You're listening to V8 Insiders. This year is the 75th anniversary of the building and commencement of competition at Mount Panorama. With Bathurst approaching, we caught up with a number of people to talk about their impressions of Australia's great race. First up, it's Adrian Burgess who won the race last year as team principal of Triple Eight Race Engineering. The V8 Insider spoke to Burgess in August before he was sacked from Red Bull Racing Australia and asked him about his experience of winning the 1000 for the first time. Um, well, it's, it's clearly uh, still a, a highlight of my uh, my career over here in V8 Supercars. Um, it's still something uh, you, you look back on, and um, I, I mean, during the year you, you appreciate and realise how uh, how much work goes into that one event, and, and we're in that sort of process, um, you know, getting ready for Bathurst now. And uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a highlight along with the championships. It's a it's a massive week, you know. You that arrived there on the Tuesday and. Uh, by the time you get to Sunday night, you're uh, you're absolutely exhausted. I mean, it, it's hard to 
to go there. Um, you know, it was too much expectation, although you always go there, you know, obviously wanting and trying to win the race. But I've been there, I think, seven or eight times now, and I've only managed to win one. So it just, just shows you how hard the, the event is. But, yeah, it's a, it's a great event. So, yeah, definitely a highlight of the year for me. Is it any easier to have a weekend where you win than the six other times when you came up short? Uh, well, yeah, it's always obviously uh, it's easier to deal with a with a headache that you have Monday morning um, when you know you've won the race as opposed to putting all that effort in and um, going home on the Monday and you're, you're, you're sore and you're tired and you're emotionally and physically spent. So uh, it's always quicker to recover when you've... Uh, when you've managed to stand on the top step. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, it does make it easier. A question that's always asked of the drivers is, a Bathurst win more important than a championship win? What's it like for oh. you? You've got both now. It's a, oh, it's a very tough question, that one. And I think maybe I mean, I've probably got a different perspective than the drivers. I mean, the championship for me is, is still a very important um, accolade and achievement to, uh, to accomplish. Um, yeah, oh, it's very it's equal for me. I mean, Bathurst again, yeah, is yeah, is an incredible thing to uh, to win. And um, you know, I've only won the one. I want to win a few more. And uh, I've got three championships. So I want to win a few more of those. So I mean, I'd have to put it, I'd have to put it equal. I can't give you an answer. I mean, I, although I am quite greedy, so I want to win both each year. So uh, yeah, we. We, of course, liken it to some of the great races around the world. You've participated in a lot of great races around the world. Do you do you hold it in, in that high that high in esteem, or are we sort of just a little, seeing it a little bit too close to home and just trying to put it up higher than it is? No, no. Most definitely, it uh, it deserves to be to be up there um, alongside there the Daytona 500 and the Le Mans 24 Hour and the, Monaco Grand Prix and and, and yeah some of the other classics it's it, uh, more than more than holds its position uh, up there with those events I and mean, I've been lucky enough to win the Monaco Grand Prix as a as a, as a team member at McLaren and um, you know and, and Formula One World Championships and things like that but this winning Bathurst is just a it's a huge it's a huge week and uh, anyone who's been lucky enough to to feel and and have those emotions on the Sunday, you know, sort of 5.30 when you, you know, when you realise you've won it is a, it's an incredibly special moment. Um, you know, the year before, obviously, we were, we were running 1-2 and we, you know, probably a lot of people thought that we were in the box seat and to, and to see that one slip away and you don't win it, then, um, you know, you experience the lows as well. Um, it's like everything in motorsport. Unfortunately, there's more lows than highs and when you do have the highs, you've got to make sure you uh, cherish them and um, enjoy that moment there and then with the people you're with. And, um, I think any Bathurst victory is uh, is definitely a highlight in, in most people's uh, careers in this industry. And, yeah, it, it's definitely worthy of uh, being up there in the top sort of five events in, the, in, in world motorsport. How much harder is it this year going there, preparing three cars over two, or is it really a case of once you get into the role and get into the procedure, it's just making sure you have enough people to put it all out there? Um, I don't think it's... Uh, I mean, for us this year, I don't think it's going to impact on our uh, preparations for Rebel Race in Australia. I mean, we've got a lot of uh, a lot of good staff. Um, we've got a lot of staff, even at the factory, that don't travel anymore and have been part of the race team in, in previous years and have 
uh, gone through that emotion and that build-up of uh, the Bathurst week, so they they know what the challenge uh, what the challenge is in front of us. So um, I'm, I'm quite happy that we can uh, field a very uh, competitive third en- entry without it um, impacting on on the uh, on the primary goal, which is obviously Red Bull Racing Australia. And, and if it was going to impact on it, then it's uh, it's probably something that we wouldn't take on. So. Um, you know, only time will tell, and we'll, we'll see on Sunday afternoon whether whether it's uh, taken a toll on our preparations or not. But at this stage, I don't think it will. Uh, it shouldn't hinder us in any way. And when you're going for a championship, what happens when your wild card potentially is in front of one of your championship contenders? Oh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But um, you know, our priority as as Triple Eight Race Engineering and, and Rebel Racing Australia is on Craig and Jamie and. That's where our effort will go, and if the the third car is in there mixing, mixing for the win, then uh, you know it's all bets are off, and uh, you know they're all there. Yeah, you know, we're there as a team, you know, um, and we will put the same effort into all three cars. But I mean, it's a hot, very hypothetical question, which uh, nearly impossible for give, for me to give you a straight answer, to be honest. Mm. What about with the the new manufacturers in the sport and uh, the difficulties that some of them are having being able to uh, compete in the endurance events? Are you comfortable with the way that Supercars is looking at the uh, how to how to make sure that everyone's got a uh, a clear run at the uh, at the Bathurst Prize? Um, I mean, at the moment, I am. If you the date of this interview then yeah then I'd say uh, we're happy at the moment but I mean a lot of things can change uh, up, up to leading up to the race but what people have got to remember is that you know this the sport has been running in this format for a long time as a category okay the, the car is new this year and on all the issues that those manufacturers are dealing with um, are things are challenges that the the teams all individually have gone through in the past already you know fuel consumption uh, yeah, all, all these, all these other areas of reliability, all these things are things that we've all had to deal with, and we've all spent a lot of time and energy and, and resources on trying to do the best job that um, that we can with those um, in those areas. So, I mean, they're, they're really processes that those teams need to go through to uh, to make sure they're as competitive as us. And the, we we have to be careful. We don't we're not handing out. Um, uh, favours or, or uh, changing rules um, without due consideration, and that's a very complex, uh, very complex formula that needs to be put in place. And I mean, we have a parity formula for air aerodynamics and and all these other parts of the car. Uh, the fuel consumption is the main one, and that's something that can easily change from one month to the next next month with some with some good development and and lateral thinking and. So you've got to be careful if you hand something out that you need to be able to bring it back um, in very quick notice if all of a sudden their situation changes because all of a sudden it then creates a platform which isn't equal for everybody. Um, they could easily you know, take a jump on the Ford and the Holden teams that have already spent their money. So it's a very uh, complex discussion, that one, and um, one which yeah, we're happy to help, but it needs to be very uh, calculated and... Jason Bright is now one of the most experienced drivers on the mountain, and to him, the track has never lost any of its magic. Oh, it's awesome. I mean, you know, uh, it, it is. It is, as everyone says, our grand final, and uh, you know, you you um, you rock into town, and it, you know, the atmosphere is awesome. 
is uh, you know it's that race that everyone wants to win. I, I um, you know I think I, I won it too early in my career. I'd, I'd, I'd probably much rather win one now than what I than win it back in 1998. But um, you know at least I got one out of the way. It would mean a lot more for me to win one now. It's um, you know it's a it's a awesome event you know there's so much to it that you know in, in the lead up and and preparation that goes into it and and then things that are different to to every other round having checked the box of Le Mans and knowing that Bathurst is always considered our great race do you see parallels with those two races oh absolutely I mean you know there's there's uh you know probably half a dozen races around the world that that have that same prestige and and uh you know the the the, it's the race that everyone wants to win whether it's the daytona 500 the daytona 24 hours le mans spa 24 hours you know the nurburgring 24 hours they're the the pinnacle of each of those different series and uh and you know there's definitely parallels you know it's um it's it's quite different to, to every other round that we go to the the amount more that you want to win that race like every other race is, is not so much just no, just another race but you know compared to Bathurst you know it just means so much more obviously this year with the new generation car is it going to make the way you have to approach the race week and the build up any differently <clears throat> um not really I mean we're obviously going there with with no previous data I think it's good for us you know that I think that you know for us the, the car of the future has been a very good thing so I think that we, you know, and, and, it's, and it's a style of circuit that has been suiting our cars. You know, the faster flowing ones with good grip seem to be the ones that, that are really working for BJR and Team BOC. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting there. I, I think that, you know, if, if the other rounds that, that have sort of been that similar style are any indication, then it should suit us very well. Um, and we should be able to roll out of the truck and be competitive, which is half the battle there, you know, with limited time on the track and, and sharing the car with another driver and, you know, limited opportunities to really work on the car and get it right, you need to be able to roll out of the truck there well. And if you do and you can have a have a, uh, a nice, clean race with good pace, then that, that's what's going to win it. For Fabian Coulthard, his biggest Bathurst moment is not of a triumph, although it is a triumph of a sort. But his flipping through the chase will be on the highlight reel for every of the next 75 years. Look, for me, it's, um, you know, that's, it's been done, you know. I, I, I'd be very surprised if anyone's going to go any bigger than that at Bathurst. So um, I'm just thankful I walked out of it. You know, I got out the other side. You know, I've had massive support from all the fans and everything like that, you know, wishing me well while I was, you know, recovering and things like that. So... Look, it was it was probably not a bad thing while it was happening. The biggest thing for me was, you know, when was it going to stop? How long it was going to go for? If I was going to hit anything hard, you know, from when the car started to rotate at 290 kilometres an hour to when it actually come to a rest was 11 seconds. You know, it was the longest 11 seconds of my life. But you know, it's all part of it. You know, we've been fast enough at Bathurst. You know, we've been in the shootout. You know, many times um, just haven't had had the luck. So, looking forward to you know going the distance this year. You know. Um, you know, I've got a good, reliable car. You know, it's been fast enough at other rounds this year, so I'm pretty excited to get back, even though I haven't got very fond memories of Bathurst. What about the new generation of car? Does that give you a bit more excitement to go back there, knowing that everyone's got the same kit? Yeah, I think so. Um, the beauty about it is, you know, we've never run these cars at Bathurst before. Um, everyone's theoretically, you know, running the cars of what they've learned up until Bathurst. The cars, you know, seem good, you know, we haven't had too many dramas with them yet. Um, 
I'm sure there may be a couple of teething problems between now and then, which we'll need to iron out before the 1,000 k's at Bathurst, but I'm pretty excited to get there. After the break, we look back at the loss of the king of the mountain. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Hi, I am Alexandre Prema from the Fujitsu JRM team, and you are listening to the V8 Insider. Welcome back to the V8 Insider's... This, the 75th year of competition at Mount Panorama, it's interesting there is one event that is held in everyone's memory that is the tragedy of the loss of Peter Brock. Gerald McDornan is the Holden Motorsport Manager and whilst he's enjoyed many highs in his time, not only as a PR man but as a commentator and a journalist, Gerald told the V8 Insiders about his biggest low. Uh, 8th of September 2006, the day that that, uh, Peter died. Um, You know, and it probably presented the busiest eight weeks of my life and anyone else's life. And, you know, they're the sad moments. But, you know, sad when you reflect on them because at the time, uh, Aaron Noonan would tell you and Tim Pemberton would tell you. uh, We, you know, I rang Aaron up. I said, listen, I've just had a phone call. Sounds as though Peter's had a, a bad accident. I was out of the office plastic was out of the office I think it's fairly serious it's only happened a few moments ago but uh, listen mate start writing his bio and you know Aaron unfortunately had to write the bio of his hero and my hero drove to the office and uh, by the time I got there they just started speculating on the the radio and uh, you know eight weeks of of, uh, you know celebrations of a a great guy's life but, but sadness and Went to Perth the next day to look after the family and McCone, the co-driver, with press conferences. So certainly notable moments in your career, but um, good times and bad times. Chris Lambden is now an independent commissioner on the V8 Supercar Commission. But back in 2006, he was the publisher of Motorsport News and he talked about how his team dealt with the news of Brock's death. Yeah, that was a big, big time, uh, as you say, for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, it's the same when anybody that big dies unexpectedly um, in any walk of life. So we were, by coincidence, by absolute coincidence, we were actually about the first people to hear about it because um, one of his sons rang us uh, and to, to actually say he'd heard a rumour that there'd been literally just only an hour or two after the accident. So we A, got to hear about it quite soon and for us this was the second time around because obviously motorsport news existed when Ayrton Senna died and you're in a similar situation. So um, we had a very, very quick meeting in the office because we were due to publish, uh, you know, we did our, in those days our final... Um, you know, preparation for publishing on a Monday, and this was on a Thursday, if I remember right. It happened on a Thursday, um, so we didn't have a lot of time. And 
we, we kind of decided on the spot that whatever we did would be a, for that next week would be a tribute to, to Peter and we pretty much scrapped two thirds of an existing magazine and the guys to their credit and you know, it's, you know them all Phil Brannigan uh, Andrew Van Leeuwen and those guys anyway they worked all weekend and we were ringing and speaking to everybody who knew Peter one way or the other and and that Monday night at some stupid hour we finished that celebration issue we called it and it came out two days later and it was the second biggest selling issue of motorsport news of all time and so in our way it was a you know uh, the guys were very professional about it, it, it they, they were blown away as you would and as I said it was it was a bit like the Ayrton Senna thing which actually was the biggest selling issue of motorsport news of all time um, so I was pretty proud of them and uh, that's one of the issues that I've kept a couple of good copies of What's the feeling like when you have to report you knew Ayrton Senna so well but now you have Brock the same thing what's the emotion of yeah look I I don't know I might be a little bit different to, to a lot of people I, I don't get as uh, emotionally overwrought about it as, as a lot do you know especially people you know uh, say out there in the public you know um, because there's a lot worse ways to die you know to be honest um, and it's go through life like in the last two years in my case for example I've I've, my, I've been to the funeral of my best friend who, who got died of cancer, you know, and, and it, it wasn't very pleasant for him. And so, you know, yes, when famous people die, uh, a lot of people are affected, but, um, you know, what will be will be. And so I'm less emotional about it. Um, we, Formula 5000 lost a guy uh, earlier this year in a very senseless accident in New Zealand, who I knew very well. But he, even his family, his wife, you know, urge everyone not to get, you know, not to continue on and do it, and that's what I do for fun. And yes, it's a very, it's actually quite dangerous, but uh, you know, you've got to live and you've got to have life. So I think both those guys, Senna and Peter Brock, wouldn't they wouldn't particularly want people to get over, overly worked up about it. As I said, there's a lot worse ways to to end your life. Gary Coleman is the head of the Motor Racing Ministry. His team worked across the eight weeks with many different groups involved in the tragedy. Well, we had uh, two rally drivers, uh, two uh, rally chaplains rather, in Perth for that rally. Uh, Terry Dorrington and Kim Van Kuehl, who have been with us for quite a number of years now. Uh, so on the day that that happened, Terry rang me first of all. He said, you won't believe this, but Peter's just passed away, you know. Uh, and... Uh, Kim, who was the chaplain on hand there, was then helping with uh, Julie and also the co-driver, whose name I forget at the moment, um, and he spent time with them at the hospital and so on. And then when the family came across from, from Melbourne, then Terry Dorrington spent time with the family um, all throughout that day and the week and following. And interestingly enough, that with Terry working with the family, he was asked to do Alexandra's wedding sometime later, about a year or more later, I think back in Melbourne, because of the impact that uh, he'd been in helping them with the family when they were there. Um, back home later on in Melbourne, and uh, I was in Sydney, but in Melbourne we'd been able to make some contact uh, a little while after with the car owner and the people who prepared the car because they were in the spotlight of the gun you guys caused it and so on. And <clears throat> a little bit hard to get to those people, but they're the people in the background that uh, needed some assistance and we provided a little bit there and offered to be able to help if we could in long term. But that um, I, I was aware when I had to prepare that tribute for Bathurst, uh, that the following one that came up pretty soon, was that we weren't just dealing with the loss of a driver, we were dealing with two national heroes that had died. 
because Steve Irwin had died and Peter Brock had died and they were national heroes. And people, I believe, find their identity in their hero. So here's, who, who's my hero now? Who do I follow now? Who, who's, who do I look up to now? And when I prepared the tribute for Bathurst, it was not a tribute to Peter. <clears throat> it was a tribute to a hurting audience. And the things that I included in that were, for the people out here, everybody who's feeling the hurt, not just at the track and not just in families, but in that very wider and realising how we are affected nationally. So all over the place people were hurting and, and no matter where our chaplains were and others as well, is that people were so distressed by that and, you know, you, know, you help me or pray for me and so on. Um, just in the past, in particularly the, the week or two close to it. <clears throat> and that's one of the things to recognise that the ripples that flow out from... I was just talking with somebody this morning after we had a, a sadness of a, a truck racing driver that passed away and the ripples of people's effect by it all. But uh, when a, that sort of thing happens, it's a, it's a national impact as well as our local impact. And there are some people still that where he was the hero and they've never got over it. You know, because he was the centre of their life, and that's one of the. It's one of the interesting things that people will make their national hero in sport or rock music, whatever else, the centre of their life. Some people, unfortunately, lock themselves into it, and when that disappears, their whole life falls apart. They've got to find another place to focus around, another place to be their pivot point, another place to be their their purpose of doing things. And on the humorous side, they've got to go and buy a whole bunch of new merchandise. <laughs> At Bathurst, we saw how emotional it was. We saw how drivers and teams were affected by all the build-up and then eventually in the morning, mm. the parade. What were your team dealing with in that week? Because it was sharply focusing that this is yeah. the first Bathurst for yeah. you know so many years where Peter Brock wasn't there. It was a combination thing. Uh, there were people who were distressed about it. There were people who didn't want anything to happen on our big race day before a race. Uh, interestingly enough, a couple of years before, we had somebody pass away, and I think it was back in Mike Raymond's day, and the suggestion was to have all the teams and drivers over the fence on the track lined up as the drivers drove around the lap to uh, pay homage to that person. And I think it was Peter and Dick Johnson together said, no, we refuse to do that. We will not remember a death right before we're going to race. So in the lead-up here, all of that drama went on. There are people who are going to race, don't want to think about it, don't want to have anything to do with it, don't want to remember it at all, and they're forced to because of the, the, uh, uh, the large size of the impact of all of that. So it was one of those difficult things. They're there, they're wanting to recognise a guy who was the driver. Of course, recognising there are some other drivers and teams that wouldn't exactly feel that way. So it was a mixture of all that leading up to it and then, of course, on the actual time with the cars going around the parade and all the lining up and then the, the three minutes that we had in the moment of silence and the reaction of the crowd, which was absolutely stone silence all over the mountain. You know. um, and then afterwards, there was the mixture of isn't that wonderful and so on, we sure remember, and others saying, get out of here. I don't want to think about it. Yeah. So it's shutting it out. And that's one of the difficulties within our sport where... Um, for the most part, we don't want to recognise those kind of things. We don't do some of the things like Speedway does. And Speedway will, sometimes they will have a reverse drive of that person's car around the track in front of the crowd. We don't want to make too much of a thing. And that's where Peter's was such an extraordinary uh, impact that he had on the sport. Um, and uh, yet it's one of those things that 
Aussie guys don't want to think about it. We don't want to, but we have to. And it's almost like I have to, but I want to shut it out. That was a, it, it was probably more between that tribute and the race that uh, I'm just watching and observing, but all up and down pit lane. Let's get out of it. Let's get away from this. You know, let's get on. Let's go on the race because um, we don't want to focus on those kind of things because we know in our racing, and yet for all of that, we have a very, very safe category. Matter of fact, motor racing in Australia is extremely safe. When we do have something, a big accident, it becomes very public news. But we still run a very, very safe category, and per race, per start, per lap, per car, per event, we've got a very good record. That's all we have time for this week on the V8 Insiders. As the Checker Flag waves over another edition, till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.